0: everyone to episode 124 of the light shed podcast and rich's house the light shed podcast rich's house i'm brandon ross with walt Pisick and the aforementioned rich greenfield
1: are you a harry styles fan no, like not, Harry no, no.
0: I have a whole, th- there's a whole thing with Harry Styles right now. Okay. So as you know, this is Harry Styles. I think tonight is the 15th night at the Garden.
1: No, no. I think it's, I think it's next week. I think he skips a few nights. I, I don't think oh, he, he actually t- plays tonight. I think he played last night and the night before, but I think he takes a break. Okay. And I, know, next week.
0: okay I know last night was the second to last one. So I guess he has one more left. Um, that does break Fish's garden residency record of 13 nights, which is upsetting, although Fish didn't have any repeats and Harry has. But um, the impetus for this overall was um, I don't live that that far from the garden. I walk past her all the time. We had some family friends in from out of town. They were going up to. Um, Harry Styles on Saturday, so I took a walk up up there. I have never seen so many teenage girls in my entire life. I mean, you've been to, like, VidCon. I haven't, so maybe, you know, you've seen this, but it was just, I'm used to, you know what, I'm used to outside the garden. I'm used to, like, it being lined with, like, nitrous tanks or something, right? It was lined with, (laughs) it was lined with boas. And the son in this family didn't want to go he's 15 year old kid i'm like dude do you realize that right now you're you're a 15 year old guy and you're going into a building with 20,000 girls your age i'm like let's let's have a positive attitude about this
2: so to sum this up we spent a 50 second introduction on music that only interest teenage girls which is not quite the demographic of the podcast well well,
0: that's not true because i got a text two nights ago i went to see pavement in san francisco i was here i got a text with a picture from one of our clients one of our clients and a friend of mine who very willingly excitedly sent me a picture from harry from harry styles and my response to that was
1: that my wife of, loves Harry Styles. I don't okay. know what you're talking about. All right. All right. So I'm the, the podcast. <laughs> she, she does not. She okay. does not. Well, I this, this client, this client
0: does. I was basically like, dude, that's like going to Disney World without kids. Right. Going to see Harry Styles. As an adult. Am I wrong?
2: I mean, I would go to Disney World for the new Star Wars exhibit. At some point. <laughs>
0: okay. I'm just off today. Anyway.
2: Yeah. I, what, know, well, I hope that. people enjoyed it. Maybe there it does cross the yeah. demo because I have heard that song on TikTok. So I just it, didn't it necessarily bring... hear a 50 second version of it on TikTok. I think a good 10 seconds. Is that, <laughs> Harry, is that Harry Styles music where he just makes a, a tune that's good for like 10 seconds? Can you uh, fill a full concert for that, with that? With 10 uh, seconds? Uh,
0: apparently. Like 20 second music clips. According to said friend, he checked the decibel level on his Apple watch and it was a hundred. The crowd was 105 decibels. So there's something is going on in there that is getting people extremely happy and excited and well, the interesting generating thing is, a lot is, of energy.
1: Well, I think there's actually a larger concert issue of like, is sort of the residency, like you've seen in Vegas now in New York. Does it become more of a thing where people fly to New York because they know there's an event? And you actually like, people travel to New York for this concert because of the residency.
0: Yeah. I just, well, I, I, just it's I just a lot better one, for the artist, right?
1: But, but it's a lot better for the artist, and uh, you know, you don't have to keep moving in and out of the building. Like I just, I wonder whether this becomes more of a trend, like we've seen in Vegas. Do we see more <laughs> residencies just in general?
0: Yeah, I mean. I guess Billy Joel's residency at the garden doesn't really count. It's like once a month. Uh, So I guess it's predictable, but this like big chunky residency, you've seen tons of them at the Beacon, uh, the Allman brothers. So like, TTB, whatever, widespread, whatever it's been. Probably usually this residency thing lends itself to jam bands who mix up the set list and get people to go multiple nights in a row. Um, this single artist sort of pop residency thing in New York is definitely something new. Um, it better works ten to
1: twenty percent better of the crowd in Vegas. In oh, it
0: was okay. Yeah, as as opposed to like ninety nine percent for like fish, but correct. <laughs>
2: Uh, first slide. Uh, I, I didn't realize people that are at fish concerts ever leave. I just thought they were just a zombie <laughs> dance and just wait. You think they, for they eight sleep days there straight, stuffing their face with fucking donuts, just zombieing.
0: Somebody has to go outside to to, to give money to, to them to, the, to, to be the able, night, able to breathe some no, fresh to, air, fresh air to to breathe the nitrous on the street.
1: <laughs> okay, let's go to the first slide. <laughs> Um, last night was a pretty momentous <laughs> event. We had the first ever, Amazon. I think this was, you know, watershed events in our sector, I think produced game oh. by Amazon NFL, like pretty big deal. And, uh, other than having a little trouble with my iPad, um, on any big screen, I tried it on, it worked beautifully and looked beautifully, but we've got a, we've got a short clip from Brian Rolap, who was responding on CNBC to what viewership would look like. Who is and I Brian was, Rollup,
2: Rich? Can you describe Brian? roll the
1: head of media for the NFL. So the guy that put, literally the guy who put the NFL on Amazon Prime uh, talking about sort of what the viewership would be and how he was thinking about the trade-offs. So here we and go. friend of Lake Shen. Correct.
2: <laughs> I don't know what the number will be, but we fully expect it to be low, uh, below broadcast To me, Julia, this is not uncommon or not unlike when in 1987 the NFL put a package of games on a little-known network at the time called ESPN.
1: Little-known. ESPN
2: was in 45 million homes at the time. Um, we did not expect to have broadcast type ratings then i don't think we do but for us we think about this much more long term i think looking back on that decision to put monday night football on on espn was a smart one and i think this one will hold up as well in the sands of time so we're not obsessed about the number we think it'll be lower but we have full confidence in amazon that that number will grow and given the trends and
0: i mean um, i think Last week, we kind of did a little bit of a, I think it was last week, a little bit of a pool on this. Rich said that he believed it would generate 9 million um, viewers. Uh, I I said higher. I I thought it would be something like 11-ish. I said a third off of the 16. Walt, I forgot what you said.
2: I didn't was never asked because uh, remember this was the podcast where Rich was just not interested. Oh, ignored in you <laughs> about me, my life.
0: He's never interested he just, in just anything about your thing. life. Never
2: interested in my opinion on this. So unfortunately, <laughs> I was not able to put a prediction in there because we had moved on to the next topic. Um, so I have the benefit of having hindsight. The yeah, the hindsight of watching the production. Um, and obviously, we saw the the quality of the content of the game, which NFL, I mean, the last two years has been consistently solid game in and game out with very few exceptions, in my opinion. Um, so I, I'm with you, Brandon, on this on the over. I mean, the, 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 the production quality was great. There's a lot of prime members out there. I'm sure people were getting alerts in terms of the comeback. Um, you know that was happening. So I was a little disappointed that Amazon didn't have more sideline shots of Mahomes' brother doing some type of like TikTok dance. That usually is a good, um, you, you need your rating.
0: TikTok dances. Well, oh, I and, think and,
2: it, it would have inspired many more people to tweet about it. Like, oh my god, look at his idiot brother doing a TikTok dance. No
1: that one's on Twitter, though.
2: would come <laughs> so, That's that was one mistake.
1: Any thoughts on the alternative feeds?
0: I didn't do any alternative feeds. I watched it straight up. Um, I thought that it was indistinguishable from watching the game on you know NBC last week or Fox say last year for Thursday night football. That's the my Nats personal really
2: good, Rich. There was no need to go to, to the Manning cast, unlike ESPN, which did a great job of putting Joe Buck in there, who's just awful to listen to. So it drives <laughs> a lot of ratings over. It drives the, a lot of Manning people Manning over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very disappointed, by the way, that the Eagles are this Monday night and Manning cast is taking the week off. So it's just, hur- I-, I may actually have to travel to Philly to go to this Monday night game just so I don't have to listen to Joe Buck since uh, Eli, by the way, ex-giant, as we all know, fabulous announcer. And the guy,
0: like, wow.
2: incredible, it makes me crack up with Can every I- a great sense of humor. Anyway, I-, I digress.
0: I will say this is my one thing that I noticed um, watching last night. And when we talk about viewership and most viewership is done on the average minute audience. Once I was in that game last night, because I was on the Amazon platform, I wasn't flipping. I was in that environment. I didn't flip over and say, throw the Mets game on. Right. Because it was too much of, of a
2: technical pin- difficulty. of It It
0: was too much of a pain in the ass to actually get Inter- out yeah. of there and back in it. So I just left the game on the entire time. And I wonder if that winds up overall boosting the amount of average minute audience. That's Thoughts? an amazing
2: point. Yeah, that's an amazing point I hadn't thought of. And yeah, I think it will. It, it, assuming it actually can get measured properly, which I still, you know, <laughs>
0: Well, nothing's measured properly. I mean, you're talking uh, about Nielsen.
2: (laughs) Other than Netflix's two-minute measurements for (laughs) for a watch. Sorry, Uh, I will never let that one die,
1: ever. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. But the the other part of this that I think is important for us to talk about for a minute is there was definitely consumer confusion. Uh, We have a at the bottom of this slide, we've got a tweet from Ask Spectrum responding to a customer saying... Thursday Night Football is now on Amazon Prime. Amazon has the contract with the NFL. We're sorry for the inconvenience. And the reason I bring this up is the, the this is sort of where the cable operators being slow technologically is a problem. So if you know Comcast with the X1 platform, they have Prime Video. So they have a way that you can still watch the game on your existing set-top box. Charter, which has very antiquated set-top boxes and technology, doesn't. And so you literally have to switch HDMI ports to get to the game. And it just makes you wonder just sort of about sort of the, how this affects cord cutting, how this there, sort of a those app. trends.
0: There's a spectrum app. Yeah. If you're, yes. if you're watching on connected TV of any kind, so you could just do it that way and switch over. Here's the thing though. Like I just said, it's still it's a not pain built in the in. ass to, to change platforms. There's too much friction to doing that.
2: Right. Comcast uh, may have I don't have a X1. We have one at the K-Pass, but like I assume that switching if I had prime on the Comcast X1, switching to let's say a baseball game might have been easier, or no? Is it
0: the same kind it of it still would have been it still would have been a fucking pain in the ass. No, it's <laughs> I, not I mean, you just
1: literally say, you just say, I mean, if you say Stranger Things. It just pulls up Stranger Things and you watch it on Netflix. If you would have said Thursday night football no, 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 on the no, no. X1 road. Rich,
2: But what, let's say you're watching Prime, the football game on your X1 box, right? Okay. And you want to flip over to what do the Mets play on? What's this? What's the station that they pull over to? SNY. SNY. Like if I had the Comcast <laughs> box and I went to switch back and forth, that would have been re- with relative ease in that box. So, so that, that, that. First of all, I'm not sure I agree with you, but let's assume that you're right. I don't. The ecosystem of Comcast X1 subscribers is small relative to the to the larger, uh, the
1: larger Ooh. feed of people, which is Brandon's I think point. A hundred percent. Most people have a crappy old set top box that can't integrate all of this stuff. And, and I, and I also wonder well. that if I have an X, if I have an X1 box,
2: I may still be using an Apple TV, a Chromecast, a, a a television as opposed to like there's even going to be a subset of Comcast customers that aren't going to stream through their stream Netflix or Amazon Prime through their X1 box. It would be my sure. guess.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what that number looks like. I'm sure there's still a very high percentage that don't do that. You know, that use whether they're built-in TV or use a third-party device for sure. Cheers. Cheers. Um, <laughs> we had um, we had a bunch of you know, a bunch of um, tech, media, telecom executives were speaking this week publicly and. I uh, got Joe Flint the first one Disney CEO Bob Chapek throws not just cold water but ice cold water on an Ooh. ESPN for sale despite the tremendous market demand for us to sell it or spin it we like our hand we're confident the best place for ESPN is within the Walt Disney company uh and then later That's on That's all
0: goes, that no we don't we don't have to debate this anymore
1: I mean they're clearly <laughs> keeping it but we'll come back to that in one second so then Darren Revell tweets out Sports betting is a part of what our younger, say, under 35 sports audience is telling us they want as part of their sports lifestyle. Says part, part, it. part, part of what? Uh, but, but OK, yeah. so so Disney definitely wants to keep ESPN, yet subscribers to multi-channel television we just established in our last conversation on Amazon are falling off a cliff faster and faster. And people, that's why Roll did the deal to put things on Amazon is knowing he has to lean into the future and streaming. So your your subscribers are falling high single digits. Your rate increases are going up mid-single digits at best. So you have, unless you are dramatically growing viewership, which we know they're not on linear TV, you have negative revenues. And so that's the future of ESPN. Negative revenue growth. Correct. (laughs) Negative revenue, not negative revenue. (laughs) Only certain sports betting companies have accomplished negative revenue, as we know. Um, But, you know, negative revenue growth means one thing. You either have to find new forms of revenue, which I think is the sort of the leaning into sports betting and trying to figure out new ways to generate revenue for ESPN and or probably and dramatically cutting costs, meaning doing yeah. with less and less sports like or they cut the big 10. Right. Or figure
0: out less sports or utilize your negotiating power to get things at a good price and that depends who else is bidding for everything and we could get into the long term on that and it's possible that the executives at disney slash espn believe that all of their competitors like the paramounts of the world like the foxes of the world are going to run into cash flow problems faster than them and give espn disney the ability to run the table on sports rights with less competitors. Now, in order to get to that long term vision, you also need the tech platforms to be rational. Amazon, as of now, is the only tech platform that is going hard after sports. Apple has done a little bit. I don't consider MLS to be much. We'll see what happens with Sunday Ticket. Sunday Ticket is also very different than kind of the traditional television package because it's merchandised differently. Oh, it's oh, the only, oh Hold on, but I would push
1: a, back on you, but I would push back. Mm-hmm. The traditional bundle, you know, you still had to have a direct TV service to have Sunday ticket. Now you won't, right? Like you're not going to need TV service to watch Sunday ticket if it goes That's to true. That's true. That's but several million more homes that don't need a TV service if they want to watch Sunday ticket. Including that's, my
0: home. That, that's true. But let's let's kind of go back to the NFL, right? Why do you like, what do most people watch when they watch
1: the NFL? They watch all sports. They're huge. Okay, sports no, no, fans no. Watching I was gonna.
0: I was gonna say the first thing that I watch when I watch the NFL. Bless my heart, is the New York Giants. At least for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> leading the leading division. division leading. Right for now. Um, so you, in order to get the local, like those are still the premium rights. In in any sure. given market. Right, uh, yeah, and I, the best games, uh, you know, outside of that, are your games of the week, which yeah. you, which you don't need Sunday ticket for. So you still you still need right to have more than just Sunday ticket. Sunday ticket I, is an addendum for the super I, fan.
1: I 100 understand. I'm just saying your thesis has been could ESPN run the table on all sports? Not run, and, not necessarily run the table
0: but get to a position of power where they have negotiating leverage and
1: can and what get I'm tell, sports what I'm rights you, at
0: a more rational dollar figure in the medium and, to longer term.
1: Yes. And what, and what I'm telling you is I think you're going to see ESPN start giving up large chunks of sports rights because I think otherwise it, the boat's going to tip soon. And so I think right. what you're hearing is we're going to keep it. We're going to try to get some sports betting revenue in the door but they're going to have less and less sports on ESPN. That is just a fundamental fact well, I think you're going to see. They,
0: then, I mean, that is something to think about for this NBA deal because that's the next deal yep. of, of substance that is up. Everything Absolutely. else is pretty much locked and loaded for a while. So do you believe, Richard S. Greenfield and Walter Pysik, that ESPN is going to retain
1: nba i think they retain it i just think they have a lot less games a lot less okay we'll see
0: yeah i think you're probably right i think the regular season is going to get spread out much more i think the postseason will still wind up in the disney family like kind of where it is now
1: brandon why don't
0: you read this one on hulu Hulu, Alex Sherman, Disney,
1: <laughs> Alex Sherman. I can't believe you gave Alex Sherman a shout out. I wasn't then, expecting you to actually do that. The, I thought you would just move past it and say CNBC. The, the, the name makes me laugh.
0: Disney CEO, Bob Chapek, basically making it official here, strongly suggesting Hulu slash General Entertainment will eventually be available through Disney Plus, like Star is in Europe, once Disney can get full control of Hulu in 2024. Okay, so that's one side of it. We know that Hulu right now is, what, two-thirds, one-third owned by Disney versus Comcast. Now, from Amal Sharma, does Comcast CEO... Actually, want to buy Hulu? Or is he just underscoring its value? So Disney cuts him a huge check for his stake. He says, quote, I believe if it was put up for sale, Comcast would be interested. So would a lot of other tech and media companies. So ChaPek is here saying when this 2024 date comes, we are going to retain it. We are going to move from the soft bundle. Right where you see, you know, separate services and for one, you know, everyday low price to a hard bundle where you have Hulu as a tile within the greater Disney Plus service. But Brian Roberts not wanting to cooperate because he wants to own it. Thoughts. And I know Walt, this is a topic you hate to discuss. So I'm asking Rich only for these thoughts.
1: No, I think Walt should start. I would what, 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 anything. <laughs> I just can't believe we're even talking about this. Man. I knew
0: you were going to say that. This, this is what, the dumbest. It's topic not of the. It's not the dumbest because like, it's okay, it's a, Brian Roberts it's a,
2: can say whatever he wants. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> There's literally a process that's set in place. It's like a Lynn Broadcasting process. With appraisers Pro, and third yes. appraisers, yeah, th- that's what it goes back to. But it, you're right; it's not just Lynn. It's like this is just—it's gonna what's gonna happen is gonna happen. So that they both should—that's the way it works. You put in your best offer, I put in my best offer, and and if like we're not close enough, then but, we'll have a third party decide, and then it'll happen. Right. That so basically, so your design. If, by the way, so if you want it so bad, when that process begins, fucking put a gigantic number there.
0: Basically, wow, I, what it means is it's all going to disney then that's it and it'll be arbitrated as to what that price is going to be
1: it's just going to take and move it may on not, it, it may take until the end of 24 if not longer to okay, actually get stuff it all like, done
2: look look how long it took um you know the whole vodafone verizon AirTouch stuff to clear i mean these things just take you know. a long time because the you know the underlying asset is
1: obviously valuable so what are you gonna do it just delays Disney's strategy. And I think that's the frustration that investors yeah. have is like, it's just you're in this limbo waiting. We well, all what know. What do investors
2: th- expect these, these fictitious inv- investors that you reference? Like, what do you want them to do? Fictitious. Well, you say, uh, oh, I, investors I, are frustrated. Like, okay, are they stupid? My, like, uh, do they're, they not realize that this they, is a process that's going to take a, a long period of time? I think they're, they're
1: surprised how. They don't have one. Exactly. So why are we talking
0: about this? (laughs) Right. In a year and a half,
1: right. Hulu will be
0: a tile in Disney plus. Is that our takeaway? And let's move on to the next slide. Yes.
2: Thank you. Verizon.
0: (laughs) Elsewhere. He he just wanted to get to this, your weekly telco break. (laughs) I'm going to get some coffee. (laughs) Weekly telco corner. (laughs) But Walt's technology corner, Walt's telco corner. (laughs) We need some music around that. If you hear me, if you hear me. Uh, All right, go ahead.
2: I'm trying to look for this tweet that I sent out a while back where it was basically saying the consensus estimate. I can't find it, but not many months ago, the consensus estimate for Verizon was like 900,000 net ads for the year. And I was like, that is insane. That was, and basically what Verizon said this week is they have not added subscribers in the first and second quarter. They will not add subscribers in the third quarter. So this kind of big growth problem still exists um, for telco providers. You know, they're obviously going to go after the broadband guys a little bit more aggressively. I think Rutledge and um, forget who it was for Comcast. Maybe it was Brian, Um, Brian. these guys, the cable, the cable, um, people, structure, cable town, as I like to refer to them on the Twitter, Um, I think they're at least acknowledging that wireless is impacting them, but still saying like, oh, but don't worry, those people are going to come, those customers that we lost to wireless are going to come back to us and T-Mobile and Verizon, especially Verizon, who can't muster any wireless subscribers, that they're going to have to lean in more aggressively um, to going after some broadband subs and we'll just see if those people can, can sustain. Um, Those subscribers consistently.
1: But doesn't it also sort of technologically not make sense? Because like, isn't the reality like broadband wireless will get better? Like the overall product offering or service will get better. More people will come to understand what it can do. Like it just, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me why people would be less interested in wireless broadband fixed, you know, for the the home two years from now than today.
2: Correct. That segment of the market, and I think what the wireless. Community would argue is we have this specific spectrum, we know where it is. We're targeting these users that we know are not going to crush our network. We're not expecting yeah. to get fifty percent market share. We know we're going to get X percent market share. So yeah, we can we can handle As their traffic. Right. So that's that's the theory that's getting tested, and and it's still too early because churn takes a little bit of time to to go through. But again, it may not be that early within a quarter or two because you think about it, internet is so important to you at home. So if you went to wireless. And it was it was janky. You're gonna know right off the bat. And that churn, I think is not it's not gonna take three quarters for those gross ads to churn out. It's gonna happen relatively quickly. So we'll see. Right.
1: Be nobody wants to put up with crappy broadband. Yeah,
2: it's just gonna be harder for your for the cable town guys um to, to dismiss wireless if the net ads, which is a function of adding new subs and also the churn of the existing ones, sustains. So every cord that they sustain should be a bigger red flag to the cable community.
1: I know cable is saying Brian's saying there's no big M&A in our future and you know Charter sort of not talking about it either but like do you think is it inevitable that
0: What do you mean big C- M&A cable? because <laughs> you're talking about cable M&A or uh, no, Well like, I'm
1: it, no I was actually going to go
0: with broadband generally defined M&A because you know Brian is still targeting uh, Warner Brothers Discovery a couple of years down the road.
1: <laughs> Despite the fact that he said there's no, he, he literally said, because we're doing the buyback, there's no M&A in our future, which we obviously know is bullshit. But, but my yeah. point was, <laughs> what I was going with this is, is wireless broadband, meaning do Comcast or Charter need to eventually merge with wireless companies? Like, is that the ultimate? Well, it happens I think at some i looking point. at it
2: the wrong way, maybe from Comcast, but Charter is a small, smaller company. Right, so the bigger question is if Verizon can't grow, and they don't have an answer for what T-Mobile is doing to them, because T-Mobile is priced lower in the market. T-Mobile is not going to get more aggressive. Like Sievert was like completely signaling, like we're not going to like burn the house down in our industry. But there's, Mm -hmm. I mean, Dish is going to come in with AT&T and T-Mobile's network at a substantial discount to the market, and as long as they can, you know, provide some fulfillment, there there's and the cable guys can do the same thing. So how do you end up discounting price? It's the it's the vertical bundle, right? So that's how, if you're Verizon, maybe the solution of which they currently have no solutions um, that are working for growth is you vertically integrate and you go after buying some uh, fixed, as the Brazilians would say, assets. Because uh,
0: that's what I'm the rest pushing, of the world has done. They're just pushing MVNO.
2: Yeah. And like, look, we could all debate about the economics, large acquisitions. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before, not working, but... You know, if you're a CEO and you're kind of on the hot seat and you're not delivering growth, um, this is typically what happens. I mean, M&A starts to happen. So we'll see. And like, it's not like charters setting the world on fire at the moment, especially if they're going to have more, you know, more pain from, from wireless potentially coming. Which this brings us to our next slide, Rich. Um, a tweet from Light Reading saying, Light Reading's Mike Dano explains why T Mobile now claims to be the biggest wireless network operator, wait for it, wait for it, in the world. The whole world? The whole world.
0: (laughs) It's a small world after all,
2: Walt. After listening to Mike Sievert at the Communicopia and the amount of hyperbole that came out of his mouth, I I couldn't think that he would top it. But yes, this has definitely topped it um, in terms of T-Mobile. What they're referring to here, because you might question, like, how is T-Mobile, who has less subscribers than even any U.S. wireless operator nationally, mm-hmm. let alone international China. players, yeah, international China Mobile? So when you double click, and maybe this was clickbait, um, they're talking about their market cap, rich. <laughs> so in a classic, <laughs> this uh, is almost like Verizon. When Verizon saying, "Hey, we're growing this year," even though the growth is from them buying track phone like oh yeah, by the way it's acquired growth like same issue like market cap as as anyone that has finance 101 knows like the value of a company is its enterprise value with the debt and obviously T-Mobile is not the largest in the US, let alone the world it's almost like saying, hey, my stock is cheap because it happens to be two dollars like that that reflects a inexpensive stock because it's two dollars I mean but if you split it, you got a lot more. It makes it cheaper. Stock split overnight.
0: All finance nerds loved discount. this week's telecom interlude.
2: <laughs> it's not even a finance. I mean, it's how is that not infuriating who's, for anyone that has any... Uh, don't, don't even get me started. Yeah, dude, you're the biggest company in the world. Check.
1: Next. Speaking of biggest companies in the world, we've got Bob Backish, Paramount. Uh, Well, let's listen to because actually, before I get to Backish's comments this week, Disney CEO, this going back to Chapik for a second, he did say that they were underpriced. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery, Gunnar said they're underpriced. And then listen to Bob Backish, uh, CEO of Paramount, and what he said last week.
2: The reality is pricing is going to move up. And, um, you know, we're at a at a at a good value price point. I don't want to be the price leader i e. the one that's most expensive. But just like for years, cable advertising
0: tucked in during the broadcast, will tuck in behind um other people raising price. So we
1: so you know it, it, what's happening here, and why I think it's interesting is ever since Disney announced the pr- the price increase, Uh, where they're jacking price on Disney Plus by 40% if you don't want ads. Investors have been going, wait, can anyone else raise price? Like is Disney, you know, Netflix has obviously raised price. I mean, where did Netflix start, Brandon? $7.99, I think was the original. I think it was (laughs) $7.99. Sure was, Rich. And now we're up to what? An average price in the US of like $15 or I guess it's now $16 in the US is now the the standard plan. I think everyone's sort of saying, okay, everyone's... massive black hole losses on streaming. Is there any way to get to profitability? Disney jacks price and says, we will be at profitability within two years. And now the entire rest of the universe is seeing their stocks under pressure because nobody really believes that Paramount, Peacock can really raise price, even HBO Max. And so I think there is this, can these companies actually raise price? Well, you
0: have to deliver value to raise price, especially in a competitive market. And you have several streaming services in the market, some with more content than others. The interesting thing about this is if you spoke to all of these executives, even a year or two years ago, they were pointing towards Netflix's price increases as being unsustainable and the reason th- that they were going to be able to catch up. Now what they're finding is that they need to raise price themselves. And guess what? as they raise price and catch up to Netflix, the value proposition on their end looks a lot weaker. The bottom line is there's going to be a shakeout. I don't know if it's going to become in consolidation and if Brian is going to lead that um, consolidation effort in a couple of years or you're going to see the same death spiral in the streaming services that you're seeing right now in the multi-channel video ecosystem, because content is going to have to be cut.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's pretty simple math of like all of these services, which are already probably you, you've, you've,
0: re- you've recreated the bundle in a poorer way.
1: Well, and the quite right, and consolidation is probably the only way to fix that. That's right, ultimately.
0: That's right. I mean, you're seeing consolidation now. And this is interesting because, like, what Backish talked about Showtime um, this week, and bringing right. we talked about Which Hulu we coming love. in it makes a lot as, of sense, right? Hulu coming in as part of Disney Plus, and now you're talking about Showtime coming in as Paramount Plus. You're seeing consolidation in terms of within. Intra-company consolidation, I'll call yeah. it, to have a more robust service that you can theoretically charge more for, mm-hmm. and now and to have cross promotion within. Um, at the next step after that is going to be cross company, further cross company consolidation, mm-hmm. and then you'll get to a point where you have an oligopoly of streaming services, and the economics can be quote good enough. And there could be some kind of pushback on content providers.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think the the question really becomes on this Showtime thing. Cause I think it is really interesting combining, basically layering Showtime into Paramount Plus. The the negative is it creates this HBO Max like thing where there's there's the service is on your cable system, but it's not the complete service and everything else is on the streaming service and it's confusing to the consumer. On the flip side, the benefit to HBO by being inside of the cable bundle is that it lowers churn. And so it would be a way for Paramount Plus to meaningfully lower their churn if you basically were essentially if all of a sudden you woke up one day and every Showtime oh. subscriber on every cable company, it all of a sudden was called Paramount Plus. And that was you know essentially you know, you instantly got access to Paramount Plus. And it, it's probably a short-term financial negative. But it does seem like it creates a stickier and, to your point, Brandon, more compelling service over time. So we'll see. Yeah, because
0: the services on their own are just simply not that compelling. The amount of programming that Showtime delivers was fine when you were in the cable, only in the cable bundle world. And it was kind of an add on that you didn't really know you were paying for. And you didn't have a lot of broad video choice. But in today's day and age where you have choices on when to subscribe and you could turn in, turn off in a world of infinite content, it's just not going to work. So you're going to move to these, we'll call them, um, Super streaming services, which, by the way, Rich, you and I whiteboarded and came up with a presentation in
1: 20 super streaming services.
0: Yes. We came up. We called them super networks at the time. But you and I came up with what this eventual future looked like in an over the top world. And it was exactly this. Anyway, that was 10 years ago. Moving on to the next
1: resident tiktok expert walter pisik say hello to tiktok now a new feature
2: for you to connect and create with friends and what this um tweet is referring to is front camera back camera which as we discussed last week is a ripoff
0: of the real everyone copies everyone that's okay, social so I media
2: rip off if i want that's the words that i want to rip off yes know, you say copy you're being nice you're euphemistic it's a ripoff. Just <laughs> said, said
0: Brandon is euphemistic, said nobody ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: Well, I mean, look, have you actually, I'm actually curious, Walt, have you, I know you're a big TikTok fan and user. Have you checked out TikTok stories? Have you, do you watch any uh, ever when you're using it? No. So I'm seeing a lot more. There's a lot more creators making stories uh, on the platform. You know, it feels like TikTok is just trying to give users more and more to do.
0: Of course. It's I mean that's what like you need so to the expand of your video yeah. formats. And sure. everyone's kind of coming at it from a different angle, but everyone wants to be the de facto social and entertainment platform. Right? And sure. now and now TikTok has it hasn't run its course with its its core offering, but it's built a lot of scale. And to grow from here, they need to add on other video formats and other things to do.
2: What type of data um, or info does Facebook provide? So when they report this, the third quarter, is there stuff that we can measure in terms of
1: what Reels has done? Well, speaking of that, why don't we go to our next slide? Because we've got the next slide that says, this is a Wall Street Journal article earlier this week. Instagram oh. stumbles in push to mimic TikTok internal documents oh. show. And Sarah Needleman um, uh, has a tweet um, with a couple of her colleagues. Meta's video problem. Instagram users spend 17.6 million hours a day watching reels, while TikTok users spend 197.8 million hours a day on that platform, internal documents show. And it's, you know, I think it's just, TikTok is just more fun. And one of the things that I read this week in that article that I thought was interesting is that Facebook, or I should say Meta, I always call it Facebook. I shouldn't do that. Um, Instagram is downranking cross posts. So if they see the watermark, they are downranking the video inside of Reels. So even though a lot of the real stuff is more creative, they're trying to force only things that are created on Reels to do well on Reels, and that, that just feels like it feels like a mistake. Like it feels silly to do that. If people really like the TikTok content, let the TikTok content fly. I, I get why they're doing it, but it just seems like a mistake.
2: I don't know if someone's gonna like if they see the TikTok logo, say, "Oh, I should go over to TikTok to watch it." Just give give the best con. You, the bottom line is you want to yes. keep someone. They did Reels. the
0: same thing with Snap um, in Instagram Stories. It eventually worked. I don't know. But they did.
2: I don't they- know about that data point, though, because, they, you know, things change over time. So, like, as long as that internal document is going to be leaked, like, every three months, and we'll see where where how sure. that gap changes. Like, where was that two months ago or three months ago or six uh, months ago?
1: All I watery. know is, yeah, you know, it just seems like they have... Remember, they were gonna basically force reels to basically. Here, they're, they're trying to force. Here's it, but here's to be the reels.
0: here's the other thing. Instagram is not, and Facebook, they are not all reels. There's plenty of other things still to do on those platforms, and people come to them for for other content that isn't reels content. So it's a you're talking about a subset versus right. everything. It's okay, mixing at, at- apples and. I don't Wait, know. I'm
1: going I'm to give you a little mind blow here because it's, it's, it's really crazy. When, when you're scrolling on Instagram and you see a reel, so when you see reels in your Instagram feed, that is the Instagram algorithm. When you click and touch on the reel and it, it expands full yeah. screen. Then, then you're that- in reels. Then you're in then the real algorithm, okay. and then it's you're a separate in algorithm.
0: Okay, and this seventeen point eight that's there is probably when you're in the yes. algorithm. So this is a completely useless stat. Thank you, Sarah Needleman, but no, thank you. Moving on well, to the next. <laughs> well,
1: no, no, but but it, but but it but it shows you the tension in Facebook. Of <laughs> they're running speech. separate. But think about it. they're running separate algorithms for where you see content. Like it's like they're trying to figure out what the ultimate product should look like, so like what should it so,
2: so it's early like so okay so apple's got five different groups working on a certain product and then one will succeed and they'll go with that like i don't like so what like, i don't i, don't well, I don't think know, we dude, need like, to move right? on from this the bottom line is i think reels is 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 um you know making up ground bottom line
0: speaking this... of new products is from CNBC. Roblox is jumping into online ads in an effort to diversify beyond virtual goods. So, um, Roblox going way back used to be an ad supported platform. They abandoned that and have. What, built what this did virtual it look like back, economy.
1: back then? No, no, but hold on. Oh, t- it, you know what it Go looked, back. looked Tell like? Tell everyone. It, it looked like
0: internet advertising, quotes, digital advertising as you know it, which are banner ads and pre roll. It didn't work. It wasn't natural for the platform. And more importantly, the um, Roblox has been trying to build out this economy of virtual goods. That is how Roblox makes their money. Now, growth. As the pandemic kind of like, you know, caught up or reopening caught up with them, growth is petered out. I think in August they grew revenue 7%. They were down at points this year. They need to reinvigorate growth. And just like Netflix, who's trying to reinvigorate growth and Disney through advertisements, so is Roblox
1: hold on just pause Start for a second there. but it would just pause there so is is the problem because they're growing time spent like people are using it is it just that they're coming from the wrong parts of the world like they're coming from places that just don't monetize the way US users use it
0: i think that what happened if you if you look at it is first of all usage growth also slowed dramatically there was a mix shift into international markets and then the, also the dollars spent per amount of time went down a little bit um, in this reopening too. So you kind of had have had this little bit of a three-headed monster. But DAU, 59.9 million um, uh, daily active users in the month of August, still kind of on the up and up. We're still cycling through these year-over-year comparisons. Bottom line is though, at this point, they are looking for top-line growth to satisfy investors and also to get the creators that make everything for their platform paid, especially in the wake of coming competition. So they've introduced these ads. There's this two types of ads.
1: is Stock is down 10%. People clearly don't believe the ad stores. That is not why the stock is
0: down 10% today. Okay. Okay, the reason the stock is down uh, because the stock was up when they announced that ads were going to launch next year, which was on last Friday. Stock's down because they report monthly numbers and there was a deceleration in growth from July to August of 300 basis points. I told management yesterday that they have to get away, like get rid of reporting these monthly numbers. It's insane. It basically keeps like M-science and the other, you know, credit card data providers in business. And that's the only people it's good for. They're a long-term story. They don't need to be reporting monthly numbers. But that's besides the point. Getting back to the ads huge it should be a huge opportunity the ad units that they have are very differentiated going into a brand's portal being able to do things there connect with the brand spend time in that brand portal with other people seeing billboards when you're walking around that you can actually interact with amazing the problem is building advertising infrastructure takes a very long time And Uh,
1: Custom, custom built. Yes,
0: well, all custom built. And from an ad tech perspective, they want to do everything in-house. They don't have any ad executives there that have really built big ad businesses. They haven't gone out and hired a Jeremy Gorman like Netflix did. They should go out and hire who Carolyn Everson or somebody. So I think while this is a big opportunity... Investors should not expect to pencil in a billion dollars in 2023 or even 2024 of ad revenue. I think this is a 2025 major impact and beyond, just to set expectations.
1: Speaking of advertising, Jessica Tunkel now at The Wall Street Journal. Um, Netflix estimated. She's trying to hire
0: someone, by the way, for anyone who's listening. <laughs> She's tweeted that out a couple of times.
1: Netflix estimated an ad-supported version of its streaming service would reach about 40 million viewers globally by Q3 2023. So they're basically saying in the first, assuming they're launching sometime in Q4, basically within the first year, they're going to get to 40 million viewers. I don't really know what that means subscriber wise. I mean, you you have about two plus, you know, I would assume you have two to three, two and a half. You know, yeah. yeah. So like, it, it doesn't seem like a huge number globally. They're saying sort of domestically 1 million by the end of this year and 4 million, I think by, you know, that point next year. So it's not a huge number uh, of homes, which again, makes sense. Netflix is from the day Netflix launches advertising, they're going to have no subscribers, right? Like there's going to be no one who has ads because it's. A new tier, Disney is saying, unless you pay us forty percent more, everyone is getting ads, and so Disney's going to have right because they're
0: starting they're starting off. so the difference here is Netflix is going to be opt in to the ad tier, correct whereas Disney is just keeping the same price as you have now, and it's opt out of the ad tier to paying
1: more. so correct. it's very aggressive by Disney. It's also a recognition that I think Disney knows their market is tapped out. There are no more, you know, they've run out of Walt Pisics, right? Like they've run out of the Marvel (laughs) fan, the Lucasfilm fan households. They're now purely on price.
0: Hence the need to promote the soft bundle and eventually move to the hard bundle.
1: Whereas Netflix is saying, we think we have 30 million people who have been password sharing. We think we can still get to you know, 85, 90 million subscribers from probably 68-ish today in the US. We think there's a lot of market share. We're going to lower the price, have a lower tier and try to go after those subscribers. So very, very different approaches between the two companies. Um, But I don't know what to do with the 40 million because I just, you know, it's hard to to know. I mean, it sounds like a decent number in year one, but, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I want to go to... Uh, this uh, tweet, Brandon, from Bologna. Why don't you read it?
0: Matt Bologna, luck. John Lasseter's first animated movie for Apple TV Plus was seen by 2.2 million people in the U.S. in the first week per Nielsen numbers obtained by Loudmouth Julia. That's a fraction of the 12 million for Lightyear on Disney Plus, which is a much bigger platform. A couple of things here. Um, Lasseter is... The best to ever do it, but it's not being promoted. It's when you promote with the Disney or Pixar brand attached to it, that automatically brings in some amount of viewers. So, and Lasseter is no longer benefiting from that, despite the fact that he built all the great content at Pixar. So that's number one. Number two, as pointed out there, is much. Um, smaller in terms of total number of subscribers. And number three, probably promoted much less. And number four, I think that you watch this content. I did not. You said that it skewed a little bit young. So you probably didn't get that word of mouth among parents. And that's collectively the reason for that number.
1: I just think Apple's got to do more. Like you you can't do one animated movie a year and expect it to be sort of a destination for families. I think the content on Apple TV Plus has been pretty phenomenal overall. Amazing. They just, you know, I don't think anyone thinks of them as a destination for kids and family. And so it's great to do animated movies, especially high quality ones, but I think they need a broader array of kids content. Like I I was with the team at Moonbug and, you know, Disney's now producing or just licensed a Moonbug show now. Like, you know, Netflix is just done an exclusive deal with Coco Melon. Like, you need to build a robust amount of kids content. I think Apple should be, you know, if they don't want to produce all of it themselves, they should be licensing more content and getting more kids content onto the platform so that there are more reasons than just a one-off movie once a year to tune in. We'll see whether they do it, but that's that's what I would be doing I, if I, I was mean, sitting in their shoes.
0: To the extent they're working with Skydance very closely, and Skydance does have Laster, I think it's a fair bet that you're going to get a pretty decent cadence of those high quality animated films. In other words, you got to start somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, and, and thanks, I Walt. Mean, <laughs> no, no, but I but I think Walt's comment is really important. Right, this is a company where. I would assume there's no investor on Apple you ever talk to that ever cares about the fact that they're spending on Apple TV+. Plus. Like It doesn't even hit the radar.
2: In terms of the cost? Yeah, but you could Correct. say the same thing about charter spending hundreds of millions of dollars losing money on wireless or the same thing with Comcast. I don't think investors don't care about a lot of different things. Um, but I think everyone recognizes the importance of Developing an ecosystem of recurring revenue, even if that recurring revenue is someone making sure that they're going to buy your your phone every two years. I mean, I think let's go back to Samsung. I think that they're doing a really good job with this flip, this foldable phone. I know you guys laugh about it, but like, I I would guess that most of the customers that Samsung is attracting are iPhone customers, and this is you know this is a threat because it's something new and different as opposed to just getting a different camera, a little better chip. So why wouldn't anyone here not move out of Apple? It's not only because of the phone itself, it's because you're iMessaging. You don't want your text to look green, or maybe you're using this or you're using that. It's creating the ecosystem. They have lock in on the ecosystem, which generates recurring revenue. And it's the same issue that we were debating last night on Twitter in terms of Amazon and, and like what's the point of having, you know, Tuesday night, Thursday night football, excuse me, is like getting people on Prime, recurring revenue business, adding more value and keeping them
1: in the ecosystem. That's all. Okay. Uh, I want to move over to Roku. Josh uh, Feynman's got a tweet. Roku jumps as new change in control language sparks takeover speculation. Uh, to be Ooh. fair, is Roku surging on this? No, Roku's actually Ooh. down today. So, uh, you know, while it jumped, you know, like there was speculation. What about this is this new deal.
0: change in control language? Where was uh, it? What maybe, does it mean? And how can investors benefit from
1: it? Uh, look, I will be very quick on this. There, there was an AK file that has, you know, change of control clauses put in, um, in terms of compensation. The real question is, who would buy Roker? Are,
0: can I, can I ask a question of, on that yeah. before you get into who would buy him? Were these new contracts that were done for senior executives such that, you know, change of control is a an element of that? Or was this a change? change of control addendum to existing contracts?
1: Um, I believe this was to current executives who have change of control and non-change of control compensation practices were changed. So there's certainly been, first of all, there's been speculation about Roku being a takeover target but for the is, last nine months. So this but is but not if they new. Knew,
0: but if they knew anything, if anything was actually going on, then they couldn't go they and make
1: these changes so, anyway. It's so what about
2: knowing something's going on? It's incentivizing you to make
1: something happen. Correct. Fair enough.
0: Okay. Correct.
1: And, and so like, I just want to spend one minute because I think there's a lot of focus of, oh, is Comcast buying this? And I don't think Comcast is buying it. I think the only company that I think is interesting out of the box as a buyer of Roku, could be Microsoft,
0: not Walmart.
1: They, well, I guess it could be Walmart, oh, Verizon. <laughs> oh my God, does that? I mean, it gets them into the connected TV. I just think Microsoft is making this huge play with Netflix. Connected TV really matters for them, and with a multi-trillion-dollar company, an acquisition of Roku is you know sort of a pimple. And so, just something to think well, about. Like, it, I, I don't think it's it, happening.
0: It, here's the thing um, with that, Rich. They do have this thing called Xbox, and there are different um, levels of Xbox. There are ones that are less expensive that still act as connected television devices. So do they need to supplement that with Roku and getting into the television operating system they otherwise? That. Or does what they ha- is what they have good enough?
2: I think the latter, and then can just license it as well. Indeed. yep.
1: Next. <laughs> Real quick. We've got greater um, economy. Uh, Patreon lays off 17 percent of the staff affecting 80 employees. They basically said that they overhired because they thought what was happening during the pandemic was. Um, this
0: is it's the same story the crow told me. Right. Correct. It's, it's Correct. over and over. I think that there was a little bit of, you know, there was too much fervor around the creator economy anyway. There's still a limited amount of people who create, especially across different media types that are going to not just create and build loyal audiences, but then figure out ways to give additional, um, to tear out additional bells and whistles to further monetize them.
1: It's, Look, so, The only way to make money in the creator economy is still YouTube. And that was the other part of that's that slide, not, right? That's not true. It's, only wait, fans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but I will say, I, I won't, before we move on to our last slide, I will say the company to watch that I think no one's paying attention to in the creator economy is Snapchat. Uh, I do think that Snapchat discover shows where creators are making content that looks like YouTube and has mid-roll ads, again, functioning like ads on YouTube is becoming a bigger deal. It's much smaller, obviously, but I do think it's part of the creator economy that no one is talking about. I don't even think Snap is doing a good job talking about it, but I do think watch Snapchat on the creators. They ignored it for a long time. And I think it actually is interesting, especially as creators sort of push back about not making money on TikTok, not making money on Insta, not making money on Facebook, obviously Patreon troubles, et cetera. So that's my, that's my P- uh, PSA for the day. So, for um, our last slide
2: from the Wall Street Journal, or really from out of Japan, and one of our favorite final slide, um, what do you, what would you call them, protagonists? Masasan yeah. SoftBank is considering a third Vision Sun fund, excuse me, part of a plan to turn a new leaf after poor performance at its other funds. People familiar with the matter say the best meme I saw on this news was a picture of like a guy peeking behind a tree and saying like Adam Newman's like rubbing his hands together that SoftBank has got another third fund that maybe he can get some more cash out of. For those that don't know, he's the WeWork CEO. And I highly recommend going back to the Apple TV content. We crashed was an amazing show.
0: Do you know what this says to me? If at first you don't succeed, Walt, try try again especially I, I just can't
1: believe investors would give him money a third time it's just sort of well, incredible. I mean, they're like... talking about using their own money so i guess they don't want to buy their stock back
2: and recycling cash and remember some of those investors are based out of saudi arabia uh, a <laughs> large part of fund one i don't know if they're going to get into fund three but
1: we shall see well that's episode 124 of the light shed podcast have a great weekend. Happy anniversary, Brandon Ross. Uh, uh, one one year. We were shooting a year ago and I definitely enjoyed shooting, uh, shooting. a year ago. Not shooting, but you know what I mean.
0: It, it was a very fun time a year ago. So for all of those who bet the under on whether I would make it a year, you're wrong.
2: <laughs> Are you celebrating in Moe's Cantina this weekend?
0: <laughs> I better actually figure out something to do besides. Yeah, but be me, me going on this work trip and giving her a couple of days of space was the best anniversary present that, that I could. It was give pretty her. good for us too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a wrap, guys.
1: Have a good weekend. Take care.